the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, again, I welcome all of our guests that are here today, and I want you to feel just very comfortable. We're not going to ask you to do anything that would cause you discomfort. If anything, our heart's desire is that you would know the Lord and that when we all leave here today, we won't remember so much that we were at circle, nor will we remember who the speaker was. But if anything, we remember that Jesus Christ is alive and well and that he had a message for us, and we are closer to him for that. Now, the message that the Lord has laid on my heart is a message that is also born a little bit on the calendar. You know that uh, we're starting school at this time of the year, many of you. How many of you have a young person or a grandchild that is starting school or just started school at this season? Would you raise your hand at this time? Well, I can imagine that that's the case. And knowing many of you the way that I do, I know that you really have your heart turned toward your young person, your child, your grandchild, And your desire for them was not only that they would learn the academics well and that they'll connect appropriately socially in class and that, of course, they'd be morally right, but that you would want them to know the faith, hopefully know why they believe what they believe, and that nothing this world would throw at them would cause them to lose their faith. And you're probably wondering, why in the world would I give such a message as that? It's certainly more than just because it's a time on the calendar to maybe do something like that. It's a little bit more personal. One, I too, Carol and I, we have our kids, and of course they're grown and gone, and sometimes, thank God and Greyhound, they are. You know how that is, you know, get them out of the house. But at the same time, I have to tell you the joy that we have to have conversations with your kids when they're walking with the Lord, and also going on the journey of discovery. This last week, our son called us because he was watching on video a particular Bible teacher that uh, everyone knows. You've heard his name. He's very prominent all over. And he said, Dad, here's what he said about this and that and the other. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, the first answer is, well, let me hear your thoughts first. And so then he unpacked his thoughts and I unpacked my thoughts. And then we unpack scripture. And at the end of that conversation is, I am so glad I call you. I feel so encouraged. And I have to tell you that I'm still shocked because uh, I still struggle with parenting even of adult son who's in his 40s. Can you imagine that? And I know that some of you might as well. But there's also another reason. It's for you all. I look at this church in the history of Circle Community Church. This church was born with a heart to reach people for Christ and not to ever neglect the young people. And then out of it was born a hybrid school, a Christian school and a home school. So we know that that wouldn't have happened if somewhere within our DNA that we would have that passion. And then as I have become more closely associated with you, I've got to know those of you who are parents, those of you who work with our young people, and even some of our young people. And I don't have much of a relationship with them personally, but I really want to, and I look forward to them. But what I have heard and seen purposely, I am very excited about it. But I'm also very much aware the heartbreak of parents, grandparents, when you see your kids start on this journey and then they somehow begin to wobble and maybe even abandon the faith. 
And so you're really struggling with that. So I'm going to be giving you a message today because it's Educators and Student Day, and it's a dedication. So I want to prepare you that at the end of the service, we're going to renew our commitment to perhaps the legacy of this church of remembering our young people and providing a safe, biblical, social, fellowship, Christ-honoring epicenter for them. And then hopefully God will honor us with that by bringing boatloads of young people and parents and others here that we too could influence them wherever they are on their journey, whether they're looking through the windows or they're newborn babes in Christ or with their kids that think they know it all. So we would pray that we could be that way. So it is a great heritage. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Stan, this is really more for parents and maybe that, but I'm going to ask some of you to stand right now, just a little up and down, a little bit of Christian aerobics this morning, but I'd like to just kind of do in a visual way to show you why this message is so critical. So first of all, I'd like to have anyone of any age that is in school right now, whatever school that might be, whatever educational system you're in, would you stand and remain standing? Would you stand at this time? Now I would like to have, still stay standing, if you will, just for the sake of this message, those of you that are parents of kids that are in school of any age, would you stand at this time? All right? All right, we're going to continue. If you have grandkids that are in school of any kind, I'd like to have you stand at this time. You have grandkids that are in school. Now, you might be wondering, why am I doing all of this? Is because your life is directly related in some measure to that next generation that is out there. Now, let me go a little bit further. Perhaps you don't have any of that, but you are teaching in a public school environment. And I'm going to alter that a little bit. If you are involved in the educational process of a public school environment, so whether you're a custodian, a teacher, a principal, I want you to stand. In addition to that, if you are involved in a Christian school slash maybe parochial school educational way, some way, I want you to stand. If you're involved in a homeschool or a homeschool hybrid situation, I'd like you to stand. If you're involved in lower, middle, high school, college, university, and postgraduate work, would you stand? All right, so we have just about everybody standing. Now, I did that so I can now preach the next hour and a half, and you got your chance to stand. Technically, that's not the case. Would you please be seated? So I want you to know that we are going together own this message, hopefully, and for ourselves, but also for the next generation, because I have titled it How We Can Help the Youth to Really Keep Their Faith, because that happens to be really our heartbeat. Now, to do this message justice, I decided that it would be important for us to really understand the environment in which most of your kids are living in if they live in the Orlando area. So what I did is I did some research to find out the trends of going to church even around the country. Now, let me make this clear because I'm going to give you statistics about church. We are getting into God's Word. Don't worry. We're going to end with that because I want to leave you with that thought rather than all of this, but so that you'll understand. So let me make it clear. You can go to church on a regular basis, and never be a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. We all agree with that. You don't have to go to church, and you still can be a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. However, I think we'll all agree that the statistics will say that you're more likely to be a believer if you're in a good, fundamental Bible-teaching church. So in a, in, overall, church is a good place to be, and generally those who are now beginning to wobble or leave the faith, they generally don't go to church or to a faith community that at least has accountability with spiritual leadership that are empowered, so to speak, teaching the Word of God clearly and accurately, helping them to grow in their faith, that type of faith community. So whether you call it church or cell group or whatever, it has all those components. So I'm talking now about those who have left that kind of environment. What are the trends today? 
So I decided to look at three different components, and you'll see how this will tie together in a moment. The first would be those who are churched, those who go to church. And that statistic is going to come from those who go to church on a regular basis. They're at least going to church for the opportunities that you will, at least once a week, and maybe in addition to that, a wedding or a funeral. So it's some type of a church activity. That's the church. Then I'm going to talk about the unchurched. The unchurched are people who only go to church if there's one significant event. Maybe Christmas, maybe a wedding, maybe funeral, but they just don't go to church. Church is nowhere on their radar. And then the third group of people we're going to talk about is what we call the de-church. That's a new term for some, the de-church. This is important because I think this is where you're going to hear some of your friends. The de-church people are those who have gone to church, but for the last six months, they have really drifted away from church. I mean, the last six months, they haven't gone to church except for maybe a wedding or funeral. Generally, you don't go all the time to church and then you quit. So generally, there's a bleed off and you become a de-churched person. Now, with that in mind, now I had to do a statistic because we don't live in Portland. We don't live in Boston. We don't live in Chicago. We live here in the beautiful city, so to speak, city beautiful of Orlando. So with that in mind, would you like to hear these statistics? Because these statistics are coming from real people who are influencing our next generation leaders and some of us and some of your kids. So here it is. Those are the most church cities. Would you like to know where people go to church the most? It'll be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, that's interesting because if you remember, there was an outstanding Bible college and Christian school there at one time. It's not there any longer. It's closed its doors. But at one time, it really had a great penetration of the gospel into the community of, of Chattanooga. And so we could go through this entire list. But after I went through the entire list, the top 20 churches, the top 20, there was not one church in Florida that was ranked in the top 20 of having the most churched people in their city. So we are not even on the list. We're not even on the radars having the most. And that's a pretty much of a tragedy. And you'd wonder that we would see more people coming to church with what we have. Well, let's quickly go to the most unchurched city. Well, if I read these names to you, the most unchurched, just a couple of them, I think quickly you'll ascertain that I know why. First one would be San Francisco. Guess why? Reno, Nevada. Guess why? Springfield, Massachusetts, Boston, and maybe Las Vegas. And so as you go through this list, I decided where would... Orlando, Melbourne, Daytona Beach, the kind of tri-city area that's within our driving distance here. As far as the unchurched, we are so far up on the list, we're at number nine out of over 100 churches that are mentioned. So with that's telling you, now this is where it gets important with statistics. These are people that never go to church. So you have the list that went to church. We're not on that list, okay? Then you have the the unchurched people. We're at number nine out of all of these. Now the question is, is the de-churched? those that went to church. When I read these statistics to you, you're going to see how severe our culture is, and that culture and the whole philosophy of it is permeating our kids by way of example that's drawing them into a secular worldview lifestyle and perhaps hindering them from keeping the faith. And we are going to talk not about how bad all that is. We are going to talk about how to help those kids keep the faith. So we are going to end very much on a positive note, which I think will really excite you. But know this, these are the D-Church. These are the people that went to church really regularly, and then all of a sudden they started drifting off, and the last six months they didn't go to church. So that group of de-church, what's the most city that has de-churched their people? Well, San Francisco, again, makes the list as number one, Boston. And this time, number six is Orlando, Daytona, and Melbourne. Now, let me see if I can make some sense over that. Most unchurched, 
okay? We're not on the church list, and now we're de-churching. So in other words, this is more than a slippery slope. We are out of control with people just either coming to church and then leaving or not going to church at all. We're not able to really connect to them. And so I know that the plight of our kids living in that environment and perhaps um, having a they, they move out of the house and they're having now to develop as a young person in that environment the pressures on them with their friends, where they're going to find places for them to grow and to develop into fully devoted followers of Christ has got to be really, really challenging. So I don't know that I can change the external culture, and I'm certainly not going to lower our standards here at this church to, uh, to, to create a, an, an entertainment or a circus bazaar here to get people to come. So what I have to do is trust God that we would be of such nature as a Christian, so committed to Christ, so full of joy, so full of answers, so full of the ability to touch other lives that we can inculcate those truths into our young people, whether they're our kids, our grandkids, or our dear friends' kids, that we're committed to help them to stand strong and last long when eventually they will have to leave our house. We're committed to that. And so that's where this message has really come from, a heart to help us to go back to that we will do what we can to create a culture of young people knowing the faith, knowing what they believe, why they believe it, and how to defend it. I'm going to take it one step further because later on in this message we're going there. And that is, I don't want them just to be defensive about their faith. I want them to go on the offense with their faith. Did you catch the difference? I don't want them just to, when people come, I can stand strong. I want them to engage our culture with the strength of apologetics and knowledge of who they are in Christ and why they believe what they believe so they can actually go forward with it. So with that, that's where I'm coming from from this message. So now I went a little bit deeper and I did some more research and why are kids really leaving the church? What is the case? Now that would be a good discussion for you to have in your small group or maybe in your car on the way home. Why would they really leave the church? Well, there are a lot of different reasons why teens are leaving. But I want to read a story to you because it's going to really bring it right home to maybe your own living room with your own son. This story was written by Brian Hausman. Here's what he wrote. Feel the pathos in this. He said, growing up under the watchful eye of his parents, Eric, we're just making up that name, all right? Eric loved going to church. Like most kids, he loved the songs, his teachers, the playing with his friends. But even for a kid, church wasn't such a social thing for Eric. He could clearly remember the summer of third grade date vacation Bible school when he really gave his whole heart to Jesus. He was even baptized after that. For Eric, Jesus and the Bible were things you had to figure out or question. He had a childlike faith. He knew Jesus loved him. He knew that Jesus would walk with him throughout his life. The Bible was a moral compass by which he could live his life. Well, fast forward a few years later, Eric hit adolescence. His parents thought he would continue to grow in this faith of his childhood. He would discover even more deeply just how Jesus could make a difference to him in his high school years. And he would see how his life and his faith would define him. But that's not what happened. In the car on the way home from church one Sunday, Eric blurted out, Why do we think we are right and everybody else is wrong about going to heaven? So over the coming weeks, his questions then turned to, Is it fair that God would send everyone else to hell just because they didn't know Jesus? And by the way, how do we know the Bible really is real? So there was now animosity coming from all of this. Pretty soon, Eric didn't want to talk much on the way home from church about church. And he seemed agitated when anyone else would even bring it up. It all came to a head when his parents asked him about his plans for the youth group summer camp. Well, Eric nonchalantly just simply announced, Mom, Dad, I think stuff like that, church and Jesus, 
It's fine for you, but I don't believe that anymore. Can you feel for just a moment the heartbreak of that parent? Some of you are feeling that right now, and so let me just um, soften this a little bit. And I want to put my arm around you. Your kid, however old they are, that might have seemed or had the faith and they kind of walked away from it, this is not a message to exploit your failures. This, this is a message to let you know you're not alone. It's a message to let you know that there still can be hope in the future. It's also a message for us maybe to come alongside others that are struggling. But for those of you that haven't gone through that yet, I, those who have, they prayed dearly for you that you won't have to go through that pain and figuring out, did we do anything? We didn't do anything. We tried, maybe we didn't. Blah, blah, blah. You can never answer that. It's like, a, it's like a dripping faucet. And so they love you and they care for you. So together, we're going to try to figure this out as a church as we move forward. We're not going to solve it in one sermon, but I think we'll go a long way in the right direction with it. Let me give you some um, reasons why teens have left the faith. There are four books that are out on the subject that's really, the authors spent a great deal of their time researching out there, taking surveys, interviewing parents, interviewing kids over a long period of time. The four books are the following. One is Sticky Faith, the other is Soul Searching, the third is Generation X Christian, and the other is Almost Christian. Now, the premise of each book isn't the title of my sermon here, but it's all in there. And as I went through these books, here's what I extrapolated from them. Those books did not give any one way. This is the reason kids left the faith. The answers are all over the map of why kids left the faith. So it's really hard to pinpoint that we're going to work on this. That's the magic bullet. It doesn't have to be the case. However, it does seem that as you go through these books, that there are a few that percolate to the top, a few reasons why kids leave the faith. And I would like to just present them to you. Now, whether you'll agree with these or not, that's okay. But I'd like you to at least listen to it and maybe kind of think about it. Here's number one. The kids that left the faith, the biggest reason is because they embraced then what we call a shallow belief system. A shallow belief system is really where they... Um, were given a God in their Sunday school or small group or youth group that really described himself more as a moralistic, therapeutic deity. In other words, God is all about having peace and joy and fun and excitement, and he could give you peace if you want, and he's, the, he's a little bit more than the man upstairs. He is God. And a lot of I love Jesus stuff, which is important, and I'm not trying to make fun of that, but I'm saying it seems like it's a lot of that but there wasn't a lot of substance in it. And so then what happened then is that these kids still needed to have a moral compass, so then what was given to them was a lot of you don't do this and you do this and you start this and you stop that. So it really took them away from, here it is, a personal but accurate relationship with Jesus Christ. So they had all the vestiges of some parts of Christianity, but the puzzle was all there on the table and the pieces were all put together, but they put together accurately and they got this skewed view of God, but they didn't have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Number two, the second reason kids left the faith. They were given no real room for doubt. Now, you have to be careful with that because you don't want your kids to live in a constant state of doubt where they begin to question everything about their faith. But let me explain something about young people. And those of you who are parents, you probably remember this. 
When the kids have this time in their life, they begin to question a lot of stuff. They question, who am I? Why am I here? As they get older, they start now trying to decide, um, I want my faith. I have to have my identity, so it must be my faith. And watch this very important one I'm about to say. Depending often on the relationship that they've had with their parents will depend on how much of their parents' faith they really want. And now we can go off into minutiae here about they had this, they had that, and all of that. But I do want you to know relationship is often at the key of helping them um, receive your faith. So they have a lot of doubts. Now, doubts then that they have, if you'll, they'll go into three areas. The first area is what we want to call um, intellectual doubt. Their questions like that will be, why do good things happen to bad people? They can't really get that answer in their mind. The other is what we call emotional doubt. And that is, if God really cared for me, why am I so depressed all the time? And so we kind of give them a little quick fix Christianese answer to that, but it hasn't really resonated deep inside. The third is what we call experiential doubt, and that is, why didn't God answer my prayer for my parents not to divorce? And they still divorce. So it's quite likely that resonating in the mind of our kids are all sorts of doubts. And I want you to know that we can allow those doubts as long as we're addressing those doubts, as long as we're helping them process through those doubts to a healthy answer. And I'll tell you, kids' minds, as much as they seem to be very stubborn, they know everything, da 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 they still are pliable. And in a right, healthy relationship, they're more easier to receive the truth. Here's the third reason. We often, then, we often give them what we call an exclusive faith. And when you write that down, and some of you might be, I want to make sure that you have it clarified and you quote me correctly. We do have an exclusive faith. We believe, above all, the centrality of Jesus Christ in God's Word, do we not? And around that centrality of Christ, we believe that God is God. He is not a good God. He is not the better God. He's not the best God because all those terms are in relationship to other gods. He is the only God. The rest is nothing but man-made stuff or Satan kind of stuff out there, but it's not God. There are no other gods but God. Okay, We make those gods. So we have God. We have Christ who is God in the flesh. We have the Holy Spirit who is equal to God. It's not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we have a totem pole deity. We don't have that. So we have all of that. We have the belief system that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. So we have that salvation is only one way, through Jesus Christ. And last, we have the Bible as God's vine on paper, hard on paper. You'll hear me say that a gazillion times, but I want you to know it is the sufficiency of Scripture. So we have the exclusiveness. The problem is sometimes we have the exclusiveness but we don't unpack that exclusiveness and how that relates, watch this now, to the young person and how that they are properly to relate to those who are outside the faith. And so what happens then, sometimes they can get so excited about what they believe, because that's what we believe, and we get them all excited because of the messages and the pounding of the pulpit. But they got all that. But then they use it as a weapon and a club and a screaming match with their unsafe friends on the team or in the club at school, and their jobs. And really, none of those truths were meant to be whips and clubs. Those truths were made for us to have a sustainable Christianity in our heart and have the confidence to be able to stand strong and last long for the Lord. But then we take those truths, watch this now, and we dip them in honey and we give them to the lost world. So truly, our truths that we have are not exclusive, okay? They are meant for the world to know. 
but to be given in such a way that they can be received. And we have to help them bridge that gap. And somewhere along the line, we haven't been able to do that. And so they want to reject our brand of faith, but they really don't see our brand of faith as being as what it really is. Here's the fourth. There's only four I picked out of here. The other one is no answers for the opposition. There's no answers for the opposition. In other words, um, they know that Jesus is God, but they don't know why. They know the Bible's inspired, but they don't know why. They know that God is the only God, but they don't know why. Some churches, I commend them because they have spent a great deal of time teaching their kids what to believe, but they neglected to teach them why they believe what they believe. Did, Did you catch that? All right. What to believe, we have that in Bible doctrines. Why they believe what they believe is called apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean that you apologize for your faith. It means that you're able to give an answer to every man who asks you the reason, the hope that is within you. At least that concept of doing that. And so the churches that have learned to help the young people, watch this, and help the adults bridge this together on apologetics, help those young people to stand strong and last long when they are confronted. Now, let me make this very clear on this point, very important. It doesn't mean that we have to unload the entire commentary set into the mind of our kids. We don't have to unload the entire systematic theology in their, in their brain. What it does mean, we need to give enough of them to give them enough assurance and, watch this now, and the reasoning to say, when I'm asked a question, I may not know the answer to that, but I do know where to get that answer. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.